0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wealth Journal podcast with me, Jay Hardy. This week on the Wealth Journal podcast, I'm joined by Ralph Cooper. Ralph is the founder and CEO of Sherwood Analytics, a company which is building an innovative solution to tracking your NFT portfolio. He's also an investor and has been heavily involved in both crypto and the NFT space for a number of years. But there's more to Ralph than just his latest work. He's been working for himself, founding companies ever since he was 17 years old. So I was very keen to understand what has driven him to become a serial founder. Now, if you haven't listened to the Wealth Journal podcast before, I invite listeners to join me on my journey towards wealth in the hope that you can learn with me. And the aim really is to get guests on the podcast to accelerate that learning so we can all learn together. Now, if this is, of course, your first time, please. All I ask is that you hit follow or subscribe so you can make sure you get these podcasts on a on a weekly basis. And also, it's important to note that the Wealth Journal is here for purely educational and entertainment purposes. It is not financial advice. I am not a financial advisor. Anything discussed on this podcast cannot be considered as a recommendation to buy, sell or anything. It's purely entertainment and educational purposes. Now, with that out of the way, let's get cracking okay so ralph welcome to the wealth journal podcast it's great to have you on hope you're doing okay great,
1: great to be here thank
0: you fantastic as always with the wealth journal um with any guest that i have on i'd like to just kick off with my first question which is what does wealth mean to you
1: it's funny you asked that because just today I was thinking about that. And it, I, it may be related to the fact that I knew that I would be on here, but I was just thinking about what does it mean to be rich? Like, and wealth obviously is related, if not the same, to many. Um, and as I was thinking about it, I really was just answering to myself that, like, I am wealthy. Just by first having Jesus, secondly being married and having three kids, that is everything I truly need, and that is that compounds all my wealth that I could ask for. Now, obviously, that's you can have all those things and you still aren't making it in life. So, beyond that foundation, I would say there are various layers of um, wealth, success, if you will, that you sort of climb up or you can anyways which is like the first level would be like the existential need so like you have a house you have food you can you can pay your bills you you just you exist in life without any material deficiencies um and from there on it just gets more and more financially independent i guess so like you would end up ultimately in a position where if you do nothing all day, you would be taken care of because you either have the funds sitting there to not have to work or do anything, or um, you have some sort of passive income that doesn't require you to do anything. And then while that happens, you can do whatever you want. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's my definition of wealth.
0: Yeah. I like it. It's sort of, um, yeah, it's funny actually. Most people that I ask that question tend to have quite quite similar answers, and I don't know whether it sort of aligns with what I what what I would expect. To be fair, of um, like entrepreneurs or people that are building wealth, it tends to be first of all more around whether it's like through family or or health and, and getting them real basic needs, and it's very rarely down to actual financials. But then obviously, when it comes to actual wealth, it's having that freedom and autonomy to do to do what to do what you want in life. And I think that the financial aspect actually allows for that. Um, but it's less about the mansion in the hills and um, the, the fast cars and things like that for, for most people, which, um, which I think is, yeah, is, is the same for me also. Um, but no, thanks for that, Ralph. It's always good to get get people's insights. Um, I'd just like you to, yeah, basically just introduce yourself now, really. Tell us a little bit about, about Ralph and, um, you know, who you are and what you do
1: so yeah my name is ralph cooper and i am a native german i grew up in germany for my first 19 years of my life i'm now based in america which is due to my wife who is american and um i i think you can say i've just been a lifelong entrepreneur i like discovered when i was eight years old that programming is awesome and like i navigated my way through that that was back when like you had like cell phones with like these cell phone games that were like you would now say they're like a really retro and old-fashioned whatever but like that's that was like high tech back then so that's where i touched on tech and like before team i figured people like as a 14-year-old, you aren't really making any money trying to develop cell phone apps when you have big companies doing it much better. And like, who's there to pay attention to a 14-year-old, right? So I I started developing websites. And I actually started two social networks that were fairly successful when I was 14 through 17. Um, so successful in that one of them gathered, and like I aggregated an, a thousand new users every day for like a month straight. They went up to about 300,000 users before it stagnated. And like these were pre-Facebook times, right? Like So like social network was just beginning to exist. It's sort of like what the metaverse is now for social media then. So um, I had that, which led to the formation of my first company, because I, which is a funny story to tell, I was 17 at the time, so I was not legally able to do anything in business, which is a huge hassle if you want to get paid by people that actually expect to have like an invoice or some sort of receipt. So, I with my parents together, I started my very own first company, and my mom was actually the CEO for six months until I turned 18. Um, so. I had to do that because there was no legal way for me to do anything in business without a legal entity that can like invoice you. Um, And then from there on out, I really haven't done anything else in the sense that like, I never had a proper job and that might be maybe a bad thing, maybe a good thing. I don't know. Like some people say like, you have like a real job, you get experience and network and all those things. And I obviously didn't, but I feel like, And when you don't have a real job, you don't really know what it's like. And so you, you're, you're forced to do good stuff, you know, like you're not, you're not sitting there like, oh yeah, I just have my income no matter what. It's like, no, if I don't produce, like we won't make it. So, um, ever since then, I've just been building, basically building software, but very entrepreneurially, like I, I am not a particularly amazing programmer, um, I like to program, and I think it's a great tool, but there are people so much better than me. Um, but somehow, I've, in my entrepreneurial way, I've ended up writing a lot of software and still do, which is where we um, land on the topic of wealth. About a little less than a year ago, I started my current company, Sherwood Analytics Inc., which is essentially wealth management and analytics for wealth. So, um, that's where I am now.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, I'm sort of intrigued to, to understand, I guess, what is it about, about you that just led you towards just being an entrepreneur so from such a, such a early age, why working for for somebody was just never really an option for you. And it was always just a pursuit of, of working for yourself
1: um good question Uh, it it never really crossed my mind to work for someone and while i say this as a self-employed person you always work for everybody you know like it's sort of ironic because you think like oh being self-employed running your own company you can decide all the things yourself but ultimately you're still having to perform for people and there are expectations um now obviously that comes with a a decent amount of freedom in terms of like where you are when you do things you don't have to check in with a boss so to say um but i guess it never really there was no i saw no reason to apply for a regular job and get a regular job and then develop things that i really don't care about don't uh, they don't touch me um now obviously writing code and things for other people may involve having the same problem too but there's a lot more flexibility in terms of turning down jobs or trying to shift focus which is really what i've been doing the last year where it's been i've been working in my own company writing code for other people which is fine and i still do that because you can't just stop that overnight unless like you just want to spend a lot of money on other people doing what you would do yourself. Um, but ultimately I've been trying for, for that time and I'm in the process of transitioning away from like service work to more product work, Mm -hmm. um, particularly products in the NFT and crypto space. Um, but yeah in i never really saw myself working inside a company where i'm just one piece of a big chain if that makes sense
0: yeah i think i think some people are often think that the the holy grail is is working for yourself you have that freedom but like you said you always do have sort of somebody to report to whether that's your your customers or your investors even if you're even if you're an artist for example let's say you're your jay-z I mean, he's still got his his audience his followers that that he's accountable for in some ways that they're going to expect him to turn up at a concert and deliver the best show he can so i think yeah it's um there's still that pressure isn't oh uh, well i guess there's a huge amount of pressure at, at times working for yourself although it does come with with freedom um i'm keen to you, you touched on it bri- briefly but your your current company that you work in um you sort of uh, look after at the moment, which is Sherwood Analytics. Um, I'm keen to sort of understand a little bit more about that company. As soon as you've touched on it,
1: so it it started with the following scenario. So I'm a uh, like an average young investor. So I have stock, I have um, options, I have crypto, I have NFTs, I have various investment vehicles that I own and that my wife owns and that I'm interacting with. And it is really difficult to say at any given moment in time, what is my actual network? Because I would need to check like five different apps in various portfolios and kind of add up together the numbers to have any idea of where we stand. Um, now, I know there are apps out there that like do this sort of thing to like combine various wealth sources. But what I was missing is, so I like to invest in the stock market in like young startups and companies that aren't blue chip yet or anything. So it often happens that they will shoot up or down for like any given reason. It could be literally anything. And so I found myself Googling, why is SoFi stock dropping? And then obviously the news is not very fast. So three hours after the fact, you find out that like, Someone quit, CEO quit, or some event, however you would look at it yourself, the market is reacting to it. And so I was like, we can write a software that does this for you. Like I don't I shouldn't be able I shouldn't have to Google this. So that's where the company idea started, because I was like, I need this, other people will need this, let's make it happen. So I put together two co-founders that I've been working with on various projects for the last decade, and we started the company and said we would do this. Um, I was then surprised by a good friend of mine who works for a um, metaverse NFT company. He was like, yeah, you should get into NFTs. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, what's that even? Like, who cares? It was really strange because I was like, "What?" Like people, and so I went on OpenSea in like March or April, and I was like, "Why the, why the heck would I pay six grand for this picture?" Like, what? So I, like I saw the prices in Ethereum, and I was like, "That's an ETH dang like who would do that you know it was totally just like this is ridiculous and then I saw on Twitter I kept seeing people go like oh yay I'm an I'm a millionaire now thanks to NFTs I was like what on earth so chatting with my friend who works at Zrun, I was like okay uh, let's try this so I bought like a digital horse and I had a couple races on Run with my digital horse and and then I was like, "This is not too bad. There is value in there. However much we will see, but it's definitely interesting." So then, basically, long story short, I got into NFTs significantly much to like have my the majority of my net worth in NFTs now, <laughs> <laughs> um, or well, at least a substantial amount, um, and and what i discovered then along with my business partners who also got into nfts at the same time so we were like early in the wave but we weren't early enough there to like buy the board apes or fancy nfts like that we missed that boat but um the lazy lines i got into the lazy lines for like ETH, which is looking back pretty affordable (laughs) um so So we got into NFTs and we discovered it is not particularly easy or intuitive to know what your NFT is worth. And there's a lot of questions attached to that. For example, you want to buy into a collection and say you're not, say you're not wealthy, so you don't have 200 ETH just laying around in your MetaMask, and you you really don't care about the art; you just want to get into the project. Which is, to be fair, I don't think most NFT investors are actually into the art. I think there are a handful, and it's the art is there. Most want to make money. Um, so it, we discovered it is not particularly easy to say. Like you see, you see on OpenSea, you see offer uh, people offering their NFTs for certain prices. And the question is, is that a good price? could I get a better NFT for a marginally higher price, but it's not like it's say it's 50% more rare for a 20% increase in price. That's not a question easy to answer because you would need to have through all those factors to figure out how, where is the item? What, what price do these sort of NFTs go for? And so we developed a product um, And we are actually about to release it. Like it's about to be released this week. I say this every week for the last three weeks, but we really do want to release it ASAP. What we essentially developed is a product that does all of that for you. There are NFT analytics software and platforms out there already. However, What most of them do is most of them pull together very simple and obvious facts. Like it's very simple to figure out the floor price for an NFT. It's a lot harder to determine the rarity of an NFT and determine related prices, especially when you have a complex collection like that one, where you have like multiple generations of NFTs. And so it's not enough to just say, oh, the floor price is at 001 Um, if if the Genesis generation is significantly more valuable, but you wouldn't know that if you just look at the floor price. Additionally, a lot of these other NFT analytics platforms primarily look at Ethereum, if not just at Ethereum, which makes good sense because a lot of good collections are in Ethereum. Mm -hmm. But we, with our product, have always or we we knew this was a uh, we had to do this incorporate polygon as a network because a lot of the good and big nfts have are in the process of switching to polygon if they are highly transactional so like Run is on polygon sandbox is switching decentraland is using polygon there are a lot of collections that are using polygon and they are very complex and we were like we need to do this we need to like I don't want to have an analytics tool that tells me what's the value of my NFTs. If the platform knows how to deal with the NFTs, it should be for all of them. It should be like for the most random collection, there should be a way to do this. And so in our tool, we now have about 10,000 analyzed NFT collections across Ethereum and Polygon where we can spit out prices and related prices uh, very easily and conveniently and so, yeah, that's my extended elevator pitch for what I've been doing the last few months.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, sounds interesting. I mean, I guess a couple of questions there. One of the first first things that stuck out to me was your um, your net worth, the majority of which is is sat in NFTs, which um, surprised me quite a bit. That seems um, quite hefty. But what's the sort of rationale behind that? Are you just so confident about the space or are you really just happy with the projects you're involved in?
1: Um. Now let me paddle that a little bit. It depends on what kind of wealth we are looking at. I'm primarily looking at like what I'm actively investing in. Like okay. the value of my house is, if you if you put all of it together, it might look a little different. But with the money I'm actually actively investing, that's not just passively happening at the side. Most of that is in NFTs. Um, the reason for that is in part that NFTs just blew up and became fairly valuable. And so like I own a piece of sandbox land and I bought it for 0.3 ETH and that's at like at least four ETH at the moment. Um, and it's not in the worst position either. So there's, it's an easy like 10, 20 bag up so far. Um, similar story with the um, lazy lines. I got in quite early on those and I'm pretty convinced that they'll do well. Um and yeah, just over the last few months, I sort of stopped investing in stock and just invested in NFTs more aggressively. Um, and it piles up, and, and it adds up. Um, and yeah, once you're in it, it's a rabbit hole, man. Like you start investing in it, and you're like, "Dang, like this is," every, you, it, like I tell my wife because she rolls my she rolls her eyes at me all the time, but I'm like either this is like genius and we'll be filthy rich or this is nuts and we won't be broke but we just won't have as much um we'll see where the journey goes but you know like it's funny because when i started doing all that and looking into nfts that was like prior to this mainstream hype which is like when facebook rebranded to meta that was like I mean, I had bought my Sandbox land a week prior to that. And then Facebook says, oh, we're Meta now. And they just shot up. Like I had some Mana coins. I had Sandbox land. And suddenly it just goes times 20 overnight because the whole world is like, oh, hang on. What's that? Um, and still, it's it's still very early. So I think that uh, there's, there's still a lot more to come in terms of mainstream adoption and where this, this journey will go. Um where it will go? who knows like its it's interesting because you have you have some hardcore people that believe that essentially the traditional financial system will collapse, or should collapse, and crypto just takes over, and you won't have the stock market. you will just have dollars and coins and all those things. I don't fall in that camp quite like i'm I'm not convinced that that has to happen or that it will happen or that if it does happen that it would be a good thing. Um, I, I I don't see that that will happen per se. Um, at the same time, I do think that people are just longing for freedom and for um authentic ownership. Like people are sort of sick of SaaS companies. They're sick of these central companies that allow you to use their resources, and if they're done with you, then they could just quit or kick you out. And blockchain solves that in many regards. And that's like politics. That's in in your free time. I don't know if you saw like Link's DAO, which is a DAO that's buying a golf course. Like you see suddenly that where crypto is like, this is not just an NFT. There's nothing artistic about this. This is solely practical utility where people are like, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we buy a golf course? Why don't we? And and Who knows where that will go? But I definitely think people often say it's like like the uh, the internet in 1996 or so I'm like that's probably where we are at with NFTs in the metaverse. So I'm fairly comfortable having a lot of equity in there. Um
0: but are there yeah, you, uh, let's see. Are, you, are you sort of um like flipping NFTs or are you mainly just holding at the moment?
1: So I'm generally speaking a holder. I've been in crypto since 2017, and like I haven't sold anything worth mentioning. Now, I've not been particularly successful either. Like I'm not one of those that bought like 50 bitcoins and is now filthy rich. Um, so I'm, I, I've been around crypto, and I've been fairly bearish on crypto actually for the most part because it never like it didn't get much mainstream attraction until last year February when Tesla suddenly buys five I think million or billion a huge number of 15 million I think of Bitcoin and I was like holy cow this is going mainstream now if Tesla has Bitcoin in the books then there's no holding back and you know like then all the things happen Square does Bitcoin Jake Dorsey of Twitter is fully in it coinbase goes public so you have like all these things just piled up where it's very obvious that crypto is not going away it's not just a bubble um and you don't really know where it goes and what will happen to it but it's definitely not disappearing but to answer your original question i like to take profits but i but i don't do it in a way where i like like you see sometimes people buy NFTs 0.1 ETH and then they sell it at 0.2 ETH and I'm like well congrats to you you made $400 that's great like I don't do that. If I flip, it's like a, a more significant flip. I flipped links I was one of the first 100 users in the in the Discord. And so I was whitelisted and I minted all the NFTs I could. And just yesterday at 11 o'clock, one of my NFTs there sold because I had listed it so that I basically have three times the value that I put into it. I minted for one for 0.18 ETH and I sold for 4.75. So I made three times what I put in, which is essentially the money I put into it in the first place. And so I'm happy to take that profit. Now I'm I'm in no rush to sell the other two DAO you NFTs know, that I have because even if it goes to zero, I already took my initial investment out of it. And so whether it goes to a million or to zero, it's not that it hurts me. And that's what I usually tend to do, like to do. It's not that quite that clean because obviously nfts can be pricey and so i usually try to buy two at least to like have one that i flip and one that i keep um but i don't have that for the nfts that i would like to and then they got too expensive to buy a second one and so i'm stuck with one and i'll probably just hold it forever so (laughs) i'm less of a flipper i'm i'm only flipping to to minimize my exposure
0: yeah sure sure um I'll, I'll sort of I'll come back to um, a few questions of of how you like spot your NFT projects that that you're keen to invest in. But um, for those that that are listening to this podcast and thinking, "What is Links DAO?" Are you able to give a bit? Because I've done a bit of reading around Links um around this sort of DAO that's basically buying a golf course and there's has offered people NFTs to to get access to membership. Is my understanding. But are you able to sort of give a bit more context of that?
1: Uh, maybe <laughs> so. I'm not officially affiliated with them in any shape or form. I am not. I'm. I'm just a holder of their NFT. So I can't really speak on their behalf. And um, obviously, this is not financial advice or whatever. Like, don't yeah. take. Uh, I'm. I may be completely lying with everything I'm saying now. But um, ultimately, on Twitter, and I've learned from my good friend who works at Zeron that he is in a group chat where this actually came to fruition. But basically a couple of people that have made themselves a name in the NFT space were like, basically like golf courses are expensive and annoying because like it's hard to get in. It's expensive to stay in. And it's just not something particularly pleasant for ordinary people. Um, and so the idea was, okay, can't we just collect funds through crypto in blockchain and we buy a golf course? And you've seen this idea float around on Twitter a lot. Like you've seen people be like, hey, can't we just buy my whole apartment complex and make it a DAO? And people have played with that concept to like, let's just decentralize something in real life, not some virtual something, ENS service or so, that's great. But can we decentralize something Something physical. And LinksDAO is essentially when when it was proposed, let's buy a golf course, people just piled into it like really quickly. And as I said, I was like really early on in the Discord and it was was totally unstructured. It was just like four channels and everyone is like, yeah, so what are we doing here? What's happening? And then there was like an open Google document that like everyone edited and did stuff with. And then the people that proposed this, were essentially like okay let's structure this a little bit and by that point it was like ten thousand people in the discord or so like there was a significant amount of interest um and then they like wrote the white paper and came up with like hey we could actually do this in some shape or form which is um now ultimately it's it's supposed to be a DAO that has ruling authority over an, a, a company that will buy a golf course with the funds that are being raised, have been raised through the NFT sale. Now, it's been clear, said very clearly legally the DAO cannot and does not own a golf course. Like a DAO, there is no such thing, I believe, in any legal system that we know of that would recognize a DAO as a legal entity to do anything really. So um, it's, it's sort of this hybrid way, like you try to put a concept that has no legal precedence in, and combine it with like, basically a corporate structure from like 1900 or whatever and so um, you have links down now which which essentially is supposed to be a, a communally owned golf course or multiple golf courses um, that all members will have access to and can do stuff with um, but legally, it's it's a little difficult, and I'm no expert in the field either, so I can't really I can't really say much other than no, the DAO does not own anything. The DAO doesn't even really exist legally speaking, or at least it's nothing. You can't sue on behalf of anyone if anything goes wrong, etc. And buying the membership NFTs, it's it's very interesting because the the way they phrase it is like you're buying the right to then purchase membership at a later point in time. It's like two levels removed so that no one can ever say that any securities are being sold in an unauthorized secondary market, et cetera. It's the whole SEC's authorized security sales, et cetera thing. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's what LinkStow is. There are two memberships. One is like the leisure one, and then there's a global one, which is just... You pay more and you can do more, you get more tokens like other DAOs. Link's DAO will be governed through a token that will be handed out to the NFT owners. Um and yeah, that's as much as I know. Um mm. I don't think there is too much more to it, except for the team is very open, they're fully docs, like it's not no one will just disappear with the money. Something useful will happen with the money in the and, and i believe it could happen that we will buy a golf course that way but obviously there's more to it than just goodwill and money so yeah hoping for the best
0: yeah fingers crossed i've i've heard um quite a few people suggest that um if if 2020 was about defi and 2021 was about nfts 2022 is the, is the year of the dow and um i've seen a I sent a couple of popular DAOs. Links Golf, one of them, and um, I think was it earlier this year, or oh, it was actually towards the end of last year. Was the Constitutional DAO where they were trying mm-hmm. to raise funds to buy um, a physical copy of, of the U.S. Constitution, which unfortunately, I think, they, I think they missed out in the end. Uh,
1: <laughs> and they didn't miss out by that much. It was like they had fifty-six million and they needed like fifty-nine or some amount where it's like. Ding it! You just
0: missed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's an interesting interesting concept, um, the DAO, and I'm sure we'll we'll probably hear a little bit more about it as as we move through into the future. Um, one thing that did catch my eye about um, your projects that when I was doing a bit of research, um, am I right in thinking that you you've tried to raise funds for one of your projects through through NFTs as well? <laughs>
1: Um yes, and we still do, technically. Now what we wanted is or what we still want, um, because we haven't sold out at all. We we started our NFT right at the beginning of the last bear market. So like everyone was already burned by crappy NFTs and so there wasn't too much excitement in the community, but it's I'll explain in a moment why it doesn't matter to us too much. But yes, so what we tried to do is we we said like what we don't want to do is we don't want to beg for money for, from some fancy business angel or VC that just like, Oh yeah, now you're tied up and you need to meet those requirements. And like, essentially, you're now working for them and at their mercy, they'll hand you a hundred grand or whatever that don't get you anywhere to develop who knows what, you know, like it's, I've always been very much in the mindset of like bootstrapping. So like investments are great, but I shouldn't run around back for money um, because I end up at the short end of the stick. So we in the realm of NFTs, we were like, well, can't we combine raising funds and NFTs? And so similar to Link's DAO, we came across the issue as well. We can't really say, hey, let's offer you physical company shares in exchange for an NFT that would go against all security laws and and all that. So what we basically said is like we'll Sell an NFT for whoever's interested, and similar to Linkstar, we'll give you uh, perks and benefits with that. But we also committed to say, when we do raise money in a significant amount, like a series A or a series B, or something where like there are 10 million put on the table, something like that, we will offer our NFT holders, if they're eligible. To purchase company shares at a highly reduced rate. Now, that's the legalities are to be remain to be seen. There's no there's no guarantee this will happen. But we what we desire to do is. Have people invest in NFTs that ultimately end up being shareholders of the company. Um, one way or another, that might be through a DAO, you know, like that might be that it's somehow happening through a DAO. Um, until that happens, it might be that the legal framework has advanced a little further too. So um, none of this binding. Just like as a conceptual idea, what we don't want is we don't want this Where you, What you see with OpenSea, you have OpenSea and you have investors in them. And OpenSea now says, hey, we want to do an IPO. And every user is pissed because every user is like, well, it's not the investors that did anything, We, the people, did this. And so in that spirit, before OpenSea ever had those issues, we were like, yeah, let's incorporate our users. This is not just a project, especially like I told you what the project idea originally was and where it developed into, but the idea of wealth management and like having all your assets on one screen, um, it's a very interesting idea because we have essentially... A group of investors as the target group of our product. So, naturally, why wouldn't we want those investors to become part of us and like support and advise and do all the things? Like, we don't need some fancy VC to tell us what he, how he manages his investments. I want the average Joe to tell me, hey, this is what I wanna see. Here's how it's helpful on autumn, you know? So, this like from the community for the community has been a big motivating factor in there. And so we started the NFT sale, and we raised some funds through it, but it nowhere near sold out. And so we we keep it open; like people are welcome to mint still, and we will have a more aggressive push again once our product launches this week. Um, but yeah, that's essentially similar to LinkStar what we try to do, and in, in a in a similar way.
0: Yeah, it's, I think it's it's quite. An innovative way of trying to raise funds for for whether that be a project or a company. I'm quite intrigued, I guess, as an entrepreneur. It's just like it's another avenue for for people to look at as opposed to, like you say, securing funding from a VC or an angel investor who's potentially going to try and um, almost put the the company under a certain amount of control. So it allows you to... And do you think, um, I guess as we move into to web3 more companies are going to be formed that way it's it's about it's about community i know you mentioned there about about opensea and um the, uh, there's been an element of criticism around that because obviously they've helped um, or the communities helped build opensea and use opensea as, as a platform and now they've they've sort of hinted and talked about potentially going down an ipo route which is i guess the the opposite of of this world of decentralized finance rather than maybe producing a token that that people that have helped build it could could sort of get access to. So do you think we are sort of, if you was building a company today versus back in the days of your know, 1997, it's very much around a community-led focus and shared ownership, as opposed to a single entrepreneur and a bunch of angel investors.
1: Yeah, I, I think you see this. You see this increasingly much. I mean, people weren't particularly happy that Coinbase went for an IPO and didn't issue a token. And there are voices that say that a token would have been more beneficial for Coinbase in some regards because they could have raised much more funds from a token than they could have from an IPO. Now, let me say it like this. I don't, as I said, I don't believe that the stock market or the traditional financial system will just disappear overnight or collapse or any of that. Like, we'll have to live with it. And it, it's not going to always be pretty. Like, there will be some senators, some committee, some Fed members. Someone will be like, oh, crypto is evil. This can't be right. Blah, blah, blah. Like, not I don't expect China in the U.S. or the Western world, really, but like, there will be voices that go like, we can't have this unregulated space. And I think people won't put up with it. People will just push through it. And there's enough mainstream and celebrity support for it to, to not be suppressed by governments in the Western world, I believe. um, And so I think this will become more and more of of something that companies will do. Now again it is quite impossible to combine company shares and blockchain in a form that isn't illegal where like you have it tied together in a binding form. You can work around issues you can have like a rewards program or staking or you have you have these ways around where you're not really issuing securities but basically people share If you're successful, they're successful too. So it's sort of a a, a roundabout way of including people as semi-shareholders, but not really. Um, I am hoping that that can change. Now, I'm not illusioned enough to believe it's anytime soon. Like, this will not be a thing that we will solve 2022. This may be a thing by 2030, we may have a framework for incorporating a blockchain organization with a traditional one in some shape or form Um, but I do hope and believe that more and more people in the regulatory body will embrace blockchain rather than reject it and like you know how people sometimes would say like blockchain is just like oh it's for criminal purposes or money laundering and all these things and like I read the other day because I would never thought that that was really a thing in the sense that I was like, it's a blockchain, like you can read every transaction. So like it should be by definition harder to launder money through blockchain because you can trace it. Um, now, sure, no one knows whose address belongs to who. So as long as you don't cash out, like you can do a lot with the money that the government doesn't know. But the moment you convert it to fiat in some shape or form, the government would know. Now, um, where I was going with that is, I think that um, people are embracing blockchain, and I'm hoping for the regulatory body to do as well and to come up with ideas and concepts how to do that in a meaningful way that isn't hurtful. Um, like the IRS in America this past year passed a, 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 a law, not even a law, I guess it's just a rule or so to essentially be eligible to look into every transaction over $600, which is kind of ridiculous. I mean, that's, that's a relatively small amount. I could pay that much to our babysitter and now the IRS wants to look at it or whatever, like, um, but with blockchain, they really have to come up with something to figure out what's happening or find a different way of taxation. That's where I'm like, you should do that. Like forget, forget taxing the way you've been doing it. Like we need to we need to somehow come up with innovative ideas of how to raise money in taxes that is not tied to your income in that form as it's been so far, because that could change. If I receive a salary in crypto, like what is that worth? What is What would I be taxed on? Because Ethereum was 4,000 two weeks ago and now it's at 3,000. So what should I be taxed on? That's not an easy question to answer and so i'm i'm hoping for bright young people and regulatory bodies to come up with good regulation that just makes the world a better place that's my hope
0: yeah yeah i get a sense that and certainly from an institutional level that although maybe within the community regulations seen as bad but actually it feels like we're looking for some oh, form of some form of regulation actually just to help provide rules of the road really i think um it might have been a report from bank of america that i read or another one of the like the large banks and they were sort of crying out for yeah. for rules of the road in crypto yeah. i think that'll help um remove some of the uncertainty
1: yeah i i saw the same and coinbase for what it's worth like they get a lot of flack for not being available when it matters like Crypto market is crashing and so is Coinbase. And so you can't sell or buy, which sucks, obviously. But like Coinbase actually, I, I think, is doing a pretty decent job in navigating this world of old school versus new. And you see this because they are a public company. So they are not just some small startup, but they are very regulated in their space. And they interact with the um, legal entities in their territory. So I know that in Europe, they have been building relationships. They've been partnering with the existing banks. They have been talking to the financial institutions. Coinbase has been pretty proactive and, and not ending in a situation where some politician just like closes the door, similar to how China every so often forbids crypto. Um, so I think, They're they're approaching it the right way. We will see how governments respond to it. And you can see based on Twitter posts of Coinbase CEO and various people that there's a mixed response. You have you have very bullish people on Bitcoin, particularly the mayors of New York and Miami, for example. And then you have people in like the Fed or so where you kind of can tell that they are not really up for it. Um So we will see how things go. The nice and the the encouraging thing to me is, no one under forty is against crypto essentially. So we just, if nothing else, we just have to wait it out until the old generation just retires and young people take over, and it will solve be solved by itself. I'm pretty sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I guess that's encouraging. Most um, I, I look. I mean, I've got I've got two young children, and I think. They're effectively growing up in a world where they'll only, you know, Bitcoin has always exi- existed, uh, crypto has always exi- existed, so it's cool.
1: It's crazy. I have three kids, five, three, and half a year. And, like, my oldest, he just turned five, but I showed him, like, I I transferred money with crypto and you used a QR code. And, like, he saw a QR code on a on a milk bottle, and he was like, oh, look, you can send money to that milk bottle. I was like... <laughs> yeah no, not really but i mean that's the environment that he grows up in like it's it's a real real method of paying for stuff and yeah. i can't imagine growing up that way being a 20 year old where like bitcoin was around your entire life like there was no before
0: <laughs> yeah exactly i think uh, i mean even even the um the internet's only like 10,000 days old or something <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, when, when when I was a kid, we would like run around and, and cell phones were a new thing. And like texting was like, oh, wow, you can text someone. Whereas my kids are now like FaceTime is a normal thing for them, you know. Yeah. And like, that's not even six years old or something. Like, it's not that old.
0: Quick one. If you're building your wealth, you're an entrepreneur, you're working on a project, whether that be NFTs, web3, or anything else when it comes to to building a business, and you've got a story that you want to tell, then I want to hear about it. Please get in touch. You can follow me on Instagram, search J Hardy the Wealth Journal, Twitter, J Hardy TWJ, or send me a message on LinkedIn. Thank you. I'm keen just to sort of circle back a little bit around um raising funds for you're utilizing NFTs. So let's just say um I wanted to set up a restaurant in my local city. And I thought rather than trying to go to a bank and raise funds, why don't I go to the local community and say, you know, see if there's a group of people that also want me to set up a new, I don't know, Italian restaurant. How easy would it be for just an average person to release some NFTs? Is there any sort of specific knowledge required? Do you have to be a programmer, have that background, or or is it available for for the everyday entrepreneur to, to utilize?
1: So, loaded question. There are platforms and tools that are supposed to make it easy for you. And I have never dealt with them. I'm a developer. So I was like, I will write my own smart contract. And sure, I copied and pasted from left and right and figured out things as I went along. Like, um, it's not that I spent three weeks studying solidity in detail. It was like, okay, let's see what someone else has done. Let's take inspiration from that. Let's rework it in my own project here. Um, But that's not everyone's cup of tea. And blockchain is not blockchain is very technical and blockchain doesn't make it particularly easy for newcomers that are non-technical to to do stuff like there aren't just there are a lot of tools out there but there isn't this nice google firebase type interface where you can just quickly do things it is it is still pretty um you need to have an advanced amount of knowledge to deploy a smart contract right now. Now, I think there are ways where if someone really wants to do it, they can figure it out and they could potentially hire someone. Blockchain devs are are really expensive actually right now because they are so in demand. But ultimately I believe that there is There are ways to do it by either using a platform that does it for you or by just um, figuring it out yourself if you feel comfortable doing that. The more important question I would, or the more important issue I would raise is which blockchain would you be using for it and how much money do you need and what are the legal implications of that? Because like launching a smart contract on Ethereum is not cheap. The gas fees for, uh, for deploying a smart contract is like a couple thousand. Um, if you pick a good time, it can be six, 7,000 if you're doing it at, a, at the wrong moment in time. So it's nothing that you just, oh yeah, I just happened to deploy an Ethereum contract unless you're a filthy rich. Um, so, but for example, to deploy same contract, nothing is different, but to deploy the same contract on Polygon costs you like three cents or so. So there are, there are significant differences when it comes to the choice of blockchain and how you go about it. But then furthermore, how are you using those funds and what's the legal framework for that? Because you receive cryptocurrency, which in most countries is somewhat regulated or at least recognized as something. Now, in all likelihood, you don't need it in crypto. You're not buying something else in crypto. You need it in actual fiat money. And so you would be taxed on that in some shape or form. And that should be considered. Like There's no good in you raising hundred thousand in crypto and then paying 50,000 in taxes for the crypto you've just gotten. Um, So that should be considered. Um, Now what, what what blockchain and crypto does that, that nothing else really allows you to do is to have a decentralized way of collecting funds where you take out all the middlemen. And I saw this the other day that um, who is it? gofundme or someone some fundraiser software is moving to blockchain and i was like this is a perfect example of where this works out really well because that's like fundraisers are a decentralized form of financing where you're collecting money from random people and so doing that in blockchain is amazing um the bigger question is how to use those funds in legally correct and, uh, and in ways where you're not paying most of it in tax or significant amounts. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it's fascinating. I think it, yeah, it makes you think of (laughs) all the different implications. It sort of sounds easy in some ways just to set up a, an NFT project, release 10,000 NFTs, and then just start to rake in a, set up a discord and, um, get a bit of hype around the community and and then raise a lot of funds. But actually there's probably a lot more, a lot more to it than that.
1: Yeah. And you're not dealing with a very patient or like the people in NFTs right now, they want to get rich quick. Most of them are in there to flip into most of them missed out on the board apes, missed out on the crypto funds. And most of them are just looking for the next big thing and they want to see it in a week. So you're not dealing or you're not necessarily dealing with a group that is particularly easy to please, in a sense that, like I have seen countless projects start and then just falter because community was mainly interested in in making money quick. And the founders couldn't deliver what they set out to do. And there (laughs) goes the value of the NFTs and ultimately the investors' value. Or to make it worse when you have a project that's just flat out scammed and like you have people buying and minting nfts and suddenly the founders are all gone and no one knows who they are which is where i'm like as an nft project like you have to be fully doxed or at least doxed enough like lazy lines are not fully doxed but they have a legal company they have a legal company that you can research in australia and you can I mean, I have done that because I was curious, but you can find, find out names and addresses and stuff. So um, yeah. most projects you, you find enough to have, to have a way to contact the people and to not let them get away with stealing your money.
0: Right. Okay. What, what, does, what does doxed mean or fully doxed?
1: So it's a term I learned myself not that long ago, but it's essentially when you're just known. When people know your name, your identity, maybe your address, like when, say, you start an NFT project and you just disappear with all the funds, people would know who you are and sue you or whatever. Like, there would be enough knowledge about you to not just let you disappear. Now, fully docs is typically when it's like, you know the full name, you know the city, maybe the street. Uh, the people are reachable. It's not that it's, just some alias name but it's like no it's john smith from new york in that street that company and all the big and good nft projects have that like you lava labs is a company you can find them etc it's not that any of these entities would disappear overnight you know like as opposed to other like bitcoin is a great example bitcoin's founder Or found us are not fully doxxed. They're not known at all. Like, it's like there's a great mystery about it. There are people that have connections or had connections. Most of them passed away, actually. But um, we just don't know who invented Bitcoin really or who had the initial idea. So that's a great example of where that didn't happen and something was still successful because it was
0: decentralized. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. That's good. Thank, thanks for that. Yeah, because I've heard the term a few times and never really been sure what it what it means. Um, I had to Google
1: it myself when I heard it. I was like, "What's that?" And I asked my wife because I'm German, so like English isn't my first language. And I was like, "Do you know what that means?" She's like, "No, I have no idea." <laughs> it's like, okay, so it's it's some specialty slang term.
0: Yeah, and there's quite a bit of that going around in the crypto space, isn't there? <laughs> the 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 crypto slang? Yeah, yeah. Um, Ralph another uh, just sort of going back to some of your um, investments in NFTs I'm sort of keen to just understand like how you've spotted certain projects how you've been able to sort of act early on a few things whether it's been purchasing land in the in the sandbox or uh, picking up a lazy lion uh, you know, on the initial mint like what or even getting into crypto sort of relatively early certainly compared to me um what What is it that you've like looked for or noticed in some of these projects that's enabled you to almost get in early? I think most people think like well what is what is going to be the next thing and i guess I guess to follow up from that, what are you looking at like now for the for the future as well
1: um that's I mean that's the a million dollar question, so if I give you a great <laughs> answer, you and everyone listening will hopefully be very rich um, so ultimately. I like to think in 10 years. So I'm, I'm not investing because I care about necessarily what happens this year. I invest because I care about what, what the world will look like in 10 years. Um, I think crypto and DeFi and blockchain will be a, a very relevant topic that will probably dominate our life in many ways. Like Just like we have bank accounts now, people will have crypto wallets and that will just be life. Um, so short answer is investing in any popular cryptocurrency that has a good foundation is probably not a bad idea. Like you could invest in Ethereum, Bitcoin, Cardano, Solana, like none of them will go to to zero anytime soon, I would imagine. Um, now with NFTs, it's very interesting because NFTs are priced in crypto, but they their value isn't necessarily correlating with it so like just because ethereum tanks doesn't mean that a crypto and a, an nft will necessarily go down as well like in fact sometimes it's the exact opposite if, if ethereum goes up a lot of nfts are being sold because people want to capitalize on the rise in ethereum um, which sometimes to me, I'm like, this is plain stupid. Like you could have just held the Ethereum in the first place. If you're buying an NFT for one ETH now, Ethereum goes up to twice the amount of value now. And now you're selling your NFT for two ETH. You gain nothing. Like you could have just held the Ethereum and would have been fine. But it's, it's not usually, sometimes it's that that simple. Often it's a lot more complicated because Ethereum goes up, but the NFT only goes up 20% or, you know, like it's a, it's like two layers of a dynamic because you have the cryptocurrency doing its value thing and you have the NFT doing its value thing. And ultimately one of how they correlate, but not necessarily one-on-one. And so you, a good friend of mine, he said once he's hedging against a crypto crash by owning NFTs because he said the last time that happened, crypto tanked, but NFTs didn't. And then when crypto rose again, the NFTs rose as well. And so you had like double gains because you were effectively protected against the drop in crypto. Now, with regards to finding the next the next big thing, um, I mean... There, i personally like to look at what are people looking for what will be relevant to their lives and what what is what is happening what do you see happening and what we have seen is that nfts are just like a playground for adults more or less like anything goes people are buying pictures of apes for absurd amount of money and some vague idea of the future, what that might do for you one day. Um, and there's a lot more to it. I'm making this really stupid simple, but um, I think people will look for utility um, and utility can be a lot of things. Utility can be a community. Like I heard some people say, like, if you buy a board, A, hey, you have access to like, like fancy people and people that normal people don't necessarily, necessarily have access to because now you all share the same discord in my opinion that might be overrated i know that like um the real wolf of wall street jordan bradford he owns a lazy line too and i never talked to him so i'm like it's it it might be true for some individual cases but it's not that just because someone some celebrity buys an nft that you hang out with them in discord Um, I think utility is a big point people are looking for and that that will drive NFTs. A lot of the big NFTs, like I'm talking like the Board Aids, CryptoPunks, etc., they have some utility or they are working on utility, which is what keeps people buying them and keeps people holding them. I think we will see a lot of play to earn and someone on LinkedIn said it everything to earn, where like you get get paid in some token for almost anything you do. Um, I'm wondering how long that will play out because if everything you do is rewarded, then who's paying for all that ultimately? Like yeah. it seems a little bit too good to be true. But I think gaming is always a big one, and I think gaming can be an entry point for so much more, like Sandbox. I think Sandbox is a phenomenal project to be in because Sandbox actually combines various NFTs. Like you will have Bored Apes, CryptoPunks, Lazy Lions, and whoever else, CyberKongs. You have all of them in the same map. And that's kind of cool. Like that's where it becomes an interesting Piece where you have shared experiences across different NFTs. Um, I think people and tastes are shifting, and there are certain things people like. So, for example, 2021 was the year of the ape, clearly. I mean, with GameStop and AMC and all of that, the term Ape just became like, like a code name for like just some uninformed investor who buys some stuff but ends up being rich. And so naturally the Bored Apes do really well because that's, they just addressed exactly that group. Um, And there's more to it as well, but I'm not convinced that Bored Apes will be as big as they are now in the future, just because people's preferences and ideas change. Similar, like you see this with CryptoPunks, which are pixelated pictures and Cybercons having the same thing. Um, that might shift to, to something more smooth or so like preferences and styles change. It doesn't mean that those projects will go to zero or so. Um, I just look at it like what, what are people looking for? Um, And so utility is a big one. And I think DAOs in particular will capture that utility in some shape or form. You will see many tokens, pop up and many DAOs and many NFTs connected to either tokens or DAOs and games, play to earn, everything to earn. And ultimately, no one knows where the journey is going. But if you look at NFT projects that that are involved in those areas and are striving to be, they will not drop. Now, that obviously leads to another question which is which I find very fascinating. So I can tell you that certain projects will do phenomenally well. I think board apes won't go to zero. I think they are a good investment. I don't have three hundred thousand to buy a board ape, nor would I necessarily if I did now so obviously, it's nothing that I can just pursue, but imagine if you can buy like aboard aid in a group of people of 20 or so. You know, like when it's almost like an ETF where you have like fractional ownership of an NFT of that sort. And I know there are platforms doing this sort of thing. I think that might be very interesting and rewarding as well when the access to the more expensive NFTs is given to smaller investors as well, either by some token or by fractionalizing NFTs. Um, so yeah when I look at what, what I what I, I can tell you what I'm investing in right now what I'm really looking into is virtual worlds and tokens in there with staking I'm pretty big on sand for the sandbox um, I think that is a good investment I think in general virtual worlds decentralized and sandbox can be major hubs so like you and I we are using Zoom now to talk I will wouldn't be shocked if in for years we would do that at a beach in the sandbox or the central land or so. That's ultimately the vision of the metaverse. So I think owning the currencies of those worlds is not going to hurt you. Um and with regards to NFTs, I I look at if I want to buy a new NFT, I look at how are they incorporating. Those kinds of worlds So, like Lazy Lines, they purchased a piece of land in the sandbox for a good amount of money. So I'm like, they're invested enough. Like there's, they are doing that, and then Coinbase announced a partnership with them. So I'm like, the Lazy Lines, there's a lot going for them for me to make me bullish for them and um, buying Lazy Lines. Um, and what
0: am Sorry, what are you what are your like, your research sources when it comes to looking into some of these projects is there any any like sort of go-to areas that you look for do you is it Twitter or what do you, what do you use
1: So I I look at so and this is where my tool that or our tool that we will release this week will be so fascinating for this kind of research but you can see who else is buying into it A lot of NFT dynamic is dictated by group dynamic, and you can say hype, which can be good and bad at the same time, but it certainly can drive up price and make it either an unattractive or an attractive investment. But um, if you see how many crypto punks or bored apes or people that are in the NFT field already and have been successful, if they are buying into a project, that's typically a good sign. Now, that doesn't mean that the project will plan out the way you would envision, but I, I like to see how many board apes does this project have? Who are the people in the project? What have they been investing in beforehand? Um, what is the experience? What are they delivering? How are they going about things? Um, and when you do that, when you look at the people running it, because you're ultimately investing in a company, one way or another. Then you can see is this going to be successful or not. A good example would be I don't know if you've heard of them but JDU. JDU does jetpacks and oh, hoverboards yeah. and something else. It's essentially it's a it's a virtual reality company that does virtual reality things. But they combine it with NFTs where you can buy an NFT that will then be a virtual reality element that you can use on your phone. So, like you can have your Cyber Kong use a jetpack to fly around with your phone. Um, now, a lot of that is just playground, like the real world applications aren't there yet. But here's what I can tell you Coinbase invested in them. They had a Series A or C fund. I don't know which exactly, but they had an investment round with Coinbase Ventures being shareholder in that company. So I'm like, if Coinbase is investing in them, then I don't necessarily need to do all the research because Coinbase does that for me. You know, like you don't always have to be the smartest person who researches everything. You just need to kind of combine your sources and figure out is are there sufficiently enough other people that I trust invested in this? Which, uh, to be fair, and again, none of this is financial advice, obviously, but like it, it can obviously backfire as well just because coinbase invests in it it doesn't mean a thing like they could go bankrupt next month and or it never materializes because especially big vcs tend to just spread their money far apart and like across many segments so that may not be a good way to do it but i personally like to see like who is the team who else is invested in the team um, and then you look on Twitter and all those sources and see, okay, so there is the sort of mood for a project.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, yeah, that's really, really, really helpful. Um, and like you say, when it comes to some of the big, the big VC firms, they do like to spread the bets across quite a lot of different ones. Don't they? That's sort of their nature in the sense that they will put money behind multiple ones, but they only really tend to need one to to take off for them to, to make everything back. And-
1: And I mean, that's a general rule for any investor. Like, look at SoftBank. SoftBank just invests in, like, everything. Mm -hmm. Now, they did invest in Airbnb and so far. And then, like, various companies that have done really well, considering from where they started. And so SoftBank doesn't care about the 70% of their investments that don't materialize because they have 10,000x out of the ones that do. Um, and same with NFTs, like, that's why, like, the other piece that I try to do is I try to diversify, like, I don't need to own 10 lazy lions, I am perfectly content owning the two lazy lions that I have, but also owning other NFTs. Because if lazy lions aren't doing so hard, that doesn't hurt me so much. So it's it's essentially like in the stock market, too, it's diversification. And obviously, like, you have the mindset of like diversify as much as possible, where like you have almost nothing in in everything, or you like have a select few, or you only have one. Like Elon Musk often says, he only owns Tesla stock, and that's the only investment he has, which is obviously um, a special case. But I think fi- finding some sort of middle ground, like I don't need to own all NFTs, and I don't need to be in every project. But to have ten good projects is is like something to to go out of. And if I see something else that like looks very interesting and cool, I'll go for it. You know, like it's not that I have to stick by some particular rule. I can just play around how I see fit. Um but yeah, that's generally speaking yeah. how I approach investments.
0: Very good. I've- well, I will sort of throw my final question at you, Ralph, which is, I guess, along this a similar theme. And of, of course, I, I generally caveat the podcast whenever we start that this isn't financial advice. Um, so, yeah, this is let's just this let's just say this is a hypothetical scenario. But if yeah. I was to give you a if I was to give you a hundred thousand dollars or pounds or euros to invest over the next five to ten years, where would you where would you put that put that money?
1: That is a great question. I for sure, first thing, I would convert it to cryptocurrency. I would not leave it in any fiat currency because, quite frankly, the way governments are are passing monetary policies these days is worrisome for me in that, like what value is supposed to be left with that? Like if you're just devaluing currency and then inflation happens, like, yeah, like just looking at like the housing market or inflation, inflation in general, like it's like you're losing money by having fiat. Someone said on Twitter, like um, only invest in the dollar, what you're willing to lose. And it's obviously very sarcastic, but I'm like, I'm with that person. Like, there, I will, I would not ever invest in a fiat currency. None of the ones around, anyways. So, convert it to a cryptocurrency, and I would probably put it in, in a in a few baskets. I would, I would generally speaking pick the ones that have most utility. Again, I would not invest in Bitcoin because Bitcoin is a wonderful first exemplary cryptocurrency it has close to no utility other than what you would call storage or value but that's solely based on the market. So there's like if no one is interested in Bitcoin anymore the price will tank. There's nothing to keep it up there. Um, so I wouldn't do that. I think Ethereum is a solid investment. I would if you gave me a hundred thousand dollars I would for sure put a good amount five to ten percent just plain up in ethereum, um, followed by Matic um, from Polygon, Cardano, Solana. With those three, four cryptocurrencies, that's a solid basis to cover any metaverse use cases that are to come. Um, I would also invest in stock companies. Um, I would probably pick companies that I believe will will do will do a great service to their users and customers in the long run. Namely, I'm a big SoFi bull. I don't know if you know SoFi, but SoFi is essentially, it's a, a startup bank that does everything your bank does just in an app. So it's like, you can buy crypto, you can buy stock, you have a bank account, you have a credit card, anything your local bank does for you, SoFi does for you. Difference is that like they have significantly less overhead because they are a an online company, and they just have a phenomenal um, CEO. But to cover SoFi would take a whole other episode. But like, I would pick a company like that. I would pick a company where I'm like, this could be the next Amazon in 10 years. But just because I see what they're doing, I see the value they're providing, and I believe this will be very beneficial. So I would pick a couple of stock companies to put money there. Coinbase would be one of them too because Coinbase... Especially with the NFT marketplace is a real shot at taking a fair share out of the NFT market. And ultimately with that, the metaverse. So Coinbase, Coinbase is sort of like the conservative investment into the metaverse because it's a public company. So you're not dabbling with like cryptocurrencies or all these what conservative people would call speculative investments but you have a solid public company that still benefits if crypto and metaverse and all that benefits um so we'll do that and then the rest i will probably invest in um mostly digital land personally i'm person i think digital land similar to physical land is you can rent it out you can can like lease it out, you can sell it, you can you can do so many cool things with that. If you have the right spot in sandbox and there's lots of foot traffic and you just put like an ad banner up there or something, that could be quite financially profitable to do that. So um that's probably how I would invest a hundred thousand if you gave it to me.
0: Ah oh, cool. Yes yeah, um Yeah. Interesting answer. Thanks for that. It's always, um, always interests me how, uh, how people approach that question. Um, Ralph, that's, um, that's everything I've got for you today in terms of my questions. Um, so I just want to say, you know, massive thanks for you to uh, coming on the podcast. Um, in terms of if people wanted to sort of connect with you or follow like your progress, what's the best way for them to sort of see what, what Ralph's up to?
1: Uh, At this point, LinkedIn, quite interestingly enough, LinkedIn turned into some NFT hotspot. Like, I changed my profile picture a couple of weeks or months ago because I was like, I'm self-employed. There's no employer that can get mad at me. So what the heck? Let's just do it. And suddenly I get like 10 contact requests every day from all kinds of people from the NFT field. Um, and there's so many great discussions. It's really cool because LinkedIn is like, it's like a little better than Twitter because you have more context. It's not just quick tweets that you that get lost so quickly. You have a bit more conversation and it sticks a little bit more. But then you also have really professional people that are working full time in metaverse related companies and so there are great conversations happening um all that to say linkedin is probably the best way everyone is welcome to connect or follow or whatever um amazing so yeah there you go
0: brilliant well yeah thanks again for your time and uh, it's been a it's been a pleasure a pleasure talking to you yeah it's been fun thank you for having me what a guy! What a guy! It was an absolute pleasure to talk to Ralph on the podcast. I do recommend that you uh, try and follow Ralph on LinkedIn. That's uh, Ralph with a P H uh, Cooper, which is K U E P P E R. So check him out, and of course, give me a follow as well. Give me a follow on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter if you can remember what they were. And if you enjoyed the podcast today, please make sure you rate and provide a review. Any sort of feedback would be welcome if you can help me improve the podcast. So much appreciated. And hopefully I will speak to you again next week. Take care.